and that is um, when I began putting my notes together for this study, uh, I had an original study, and that was all done under the American Standard Version. Then in the last two years, knowing I was looking forward to revise those and update and uh, get it into this century anyway, my apology is I had to use different versions because there were so many times I just could not read and uh, the text and I'd have to find a Bible that I could use. So accept that and understand that I realized that but if you'll follow what I'm teaching you will definitely get the message and uh, you can fill in the blanks with whatever version you use uh, and it will vary from time to time and I understand that and all I could do is apologize I couldn't go back through uh, and start all over yet even again so we'll see if we can make it okay tonight we're going to go to Romans 1 verse 18 through the end of the chapter and we're going to be there in just a moment for the reading now those of you who were not here last time uh, we don't have time to review otherwise we would never get through so um, you just have to keep up with it the best you can um, this study is going to take a long time to get through because there's so much in the book of Romans my opinion is overlooked misunderstood uh, by virtually all of Christendom and not that I know it all because I don't but I certainly know a whole lot more than the first five times I taught this I usually name I guess like you would a sermon it's not a sermon but I name what we're going to study and these verses beginning in verse 18 through verse through the end of the chapter 32 talks about the inexcusable man you've got to see man from God's viewpoint and God puts up every argument as to why man is without excuse in other words with God no excuses and he gives the reason why and he presents those excuses that men will make so as we read the passage in a couple of moments the passage really is telling us the story it takes us from God's viewpoint not man's but how God from the very apex of creation in the garden remember God walked with man God was there in the cool of the evening there was a friendship and a companionship and until man sinned man was perfect but over the period of time and even we could say up to today as we look at history from God's viewpoint 
we see the descent of man. We see him moving from the very apex of creation as God had made him until he reaches a state of depravity and corruption. And that path, and we see it today, is clearly marked by those, by the men who choose ways of godlessness, which basically means they just don't want God in their life, and which is unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is refusing to acknowledge God as creator. It's uh, they ch man chose to serve idols. He exchanged the truth of God for a lie until it reaches a point where God gives him over to corruptible. He gives him over to corruption and he turns from the natural, man does, to be consumed by the unnatural. Truly, you'd have to say that's a sad chapter in the history of man. Now, Tracy's going to do the reading tonight from the NIV. From the NIV, we're going to discover what it was that brought man down to unrighteousness. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his external power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened although they claimed to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made, made to look like like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles Therefore, God gave them over in the simple desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served and created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to the, a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. 
they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous <coughs> decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Quite a bit there, isn't there? All right. Point number one. Man's way is the way of ungodliness. That's what it says there in verse 18. So, uh, ungodliness is really godlessness. It's impiety in thought and in action. What man did in verse 18 is he suppressed the truth. How did he do that? By unrighteous living. The, the suppression of the truth means to hold truth back. It means to hinder, to stand in the way, to prevent, to hold it down. Literally, it says, man held down the truth. In this text, immoral living will hold down and destroy truth. Someone has said that truth can survive swords. It can battle down ignorance. Truth can overcome prejudice. But truth is defeated in immorality. You see, truth can only live in the minds of people as it lives in the lives of people. And when it dies in the lives of people, it dies in the knowledge of people. So man's way is the way of ungodliness. Next, looking down to verse 21, and we're going to fill in all the blanks in between. Man chose not only ungodliness, he chose not to honor God. To honor God would be to praise Him and worship Him, to glorify Him and magnify Him. And so tonight we give five stars to charismatic churches because of all the church groups, they take the lead in honoring, glorifying, magnifying, lifting up and exalting God. Just as we heard in the song tonight. To honor God would allow God to have his rightful place. When God is allowed to be God, man learns thankfulness. Man dethroned God, and he chose to live independently of God. And the result is what? It's there in verse 22. Man became a fool. The Greek word is moros. And we get our English word moron. 
Really, a moron is a low IQ individual. Applied to this is man borders on being spiritually brain dead. Now, men in past generations, maybe in our time, has turned the word moron into an insult. This is not an insult. This is God describing man who has turned to godliness and who refuses to honor him. Number three, man exchanged the glory of God for the creature. That's verse 23. So to exchange the glory of God is to change it, to alter it, to make an exchange. Literally, man traded the glory of God. Man traded the glory of God for what? The glory of creatures. Man made himself images of man and birds and animals and reptiles. Here's the principle. Man becomes like the object of his worship. We're going to see in this study, especially in, uh, before we get through chapter 1, this is one of the reasons why pornography is so powerful and why it's so destructive. We also see this same thing in the lives and in the behavior of certain activists. What is it? They all have a passion. I mean, we've got a group that rather serve the planet rather than trying to save the lost. We see it in transgenderism. We see it in the LGBTQ movement. We see it in the pro-abortionist movement. We see it among liberal, socialist progressives. You see it in Black Lives Matter, the KKK. And I mean, you, you could name any number of groups, but they are impassioned to the point that their cause is a religion. They worship it. And if you don't join them, well then, you know, what happens? And in many cases, you can understand their passion because they would die for it. So what's the result of this? The result is God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. So they go ahead and dishonor their bodies. That's verse 24. Then we see number four, that man exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's verses 29 through 32. See, man chose the lie over the truth of God. Man mixed lies with truth. And when man mixes lies with truth, he loses discernment. See, a half-truth is a 100% lie. So man lost his identity as he lost truth. And the conclusion of that part is God gave them over to sexual perversion, which is there in verse 26 and 27. Then number five, man chose not to honor God in his knowledge. That's verse 28. 
I am going to discuss sexual perversion with you next time because there's so many questions in the church today. It's dividing some churches. And we need a biblical explanation. And I think some of the things I'll share with you next time will really surprise you. We even find homosexuality in the book of Revelation. But next time. So man chose not to honor God in his knowledge. So the knowledge is he didn't care to know about God exactly, completely. He made no effort to understand God. Man becomes the creature of his understanding. Man has the capacity, according to Scripture, to fully know the things of God. And man chose to leave God out of his knowledge. And the result was God gave them over to a depraved mind. A depraved mind is a mind that is worthless. It's a mind that is disqualified. It's a mind that comes with no approval. It's an unfit mind. A mind in which there is no distinction between right and wrong. And so consequently what man does is he does those things which are not proper. That's verse 28. This explains why today there's so much hate, there's cancel culture, there's crimes and killings. God has given man over to a depraved mind because man refuses to have God in his knowledge. I never, never look at porn. But I read an interesting article referencing Pornhub. And it came from a study in last year. And according to Pornhub, I can't, not even going to try to prove this. I have no idea where they got their facts. But according to Pornhub, 86% of Americans watched Pornhub videos on their phones last year. Sunday is the day of choice. According to their statistics, people dial in or they, you know, get online on Sunday on the Pornhub site more than any other day. When you go to their site, you would also be totally shocked by just reviewing the most searched terms. Not going to mention any of those, but surprisingly, they break them down by state. People in Texas, for the most part, are interested in one thing, while people in Michigan or Minnesota or back east or any other state, they're all different. Get back here. 
where I was. So I want to call your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You know this text. You've heard it many, many times. But in view of what we're looking at tonight, and in view of what we see in the world today, then read it in the time of today. Know this, that in the latter days, perilous times shall come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Men will be covetous and boasters and proud, blasphemers, disobedient, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. That's not a medical problem. That's a lack of self-restraint. It's individuals who impose their will on others. Then the fierce despisers of those that are good. Traitors, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Oh, they have a form of godliness. Well, how would they express that? Oh, I go to church. Oh, you didn't know I was a Christian? but they deny the power thereof. What does Scripture say we should do with them? From such, turn away. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll share another exhaustive report I read. It revealed that three-quarters of all teens in America had seen porn by the age of 17 online. Their, their first exposure was at age 12. So guess who was the purveyor? Videos, photos on smartphones, school devices, social media, porn sites, streaming sites. So. What is godlessness? Godliness is choosing to live apart from God, relieving oneself of all responsibility to a creator. And the results are very clear. Man becomes a fool. He loses his glory because he exchanges the glory of the creator for the creature. His mind becomes reprobate to the point that he leaves the natural to be consumed by that which is against nature. And it's the Holy Spirit here in Romans chapter 1 who uses homosexuality as the example of that which is against nature, which we will take up next time. Then number six. Man's way is the way of unrighteousness. That's verses 29 to 32. So the unrighteous man is seen from creation to a state of depravity and corruption. Notice it says being filled 
with all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness perverts the image of God because one lives opposite to God's moral character. Follows there from 29 to 32 are 22 sins. These 22 sins from God's viewpoint describe the unrighteous man and why he is inexcusable. Now, unrighteous means wrongdoing. It's wickedness. It's injustice. It's the opposite of right or justice. I think deceit is at the very root. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, mentions of those who have pleasure in it. It's not an intellectual, but a moral evil. So we have the unrighteous, uh, then we have fornication. Very simply, any form of illicit sexual action or behavior. Number three, we have wickedness. Wickedness there is an interesting Greek word, word, poneria. It literally means the desire to do harm. There are several biblical words from wickedness that I want to tell you about. First of all is the word poneros. Poneros happens to be the title of Satan. What's that? He's the evil one. And the evil one deliberately destroys the innocence and the goodness of men. We have Ponera. Ponera is a woman who deliberately seduces the innocent. We see that in prostitution. We see it in women who entertain at sex clubs. And are we not witnessing an outbreak of female school teachers who are seducing innocent students for their own sexual pleasure? It was just a story on the front page of yesterday's paper. And it's one about once a month, a female. Both of the sexes are seducing their students' underage innocence. That's ponera. And then we have the word pornography. And pornography seduces the innocence of man into moral depravity. The next word is the word greed. Greed or covetousness. Very simply, the lust to get. It's a desire within man that has no boundaries. I'll share with you one of my favorite TV shows. I like crime shows. I watch American Greed TV program because it depicts actual true stories. And the covetous person, the greedy person, is named because the story comes about following their trial. And every one of these individuals are driven by greed, by a desire to get something. It is greed on steroids. Now, 
I could mention a whole long list of people in this area. I did one night to some degree. But that list grows constantly. I'll just mention one of the more recent. His name is J. Nicholas Bryant. I hope you didn't have any dealings with him because he swindled millions from Lubbock residents during COVID. Greed. Then I'm reminded of an aggravated robbery carried out by three men who attacked the grandchild of one of our own dear church family, Kay and Gail, shooting their grandchild, Aaron Asseter, in the neck, leaving him paralyzed from the chest down. A life sentence. So what causes actions like that? Greed. It's covetousness on steroids. They wanted what he had. It's the spirit that always has to have more. It's never satisfied. Uh, it's an insatiable appetite for more, for better, for bigger. And that greed or covetousness can be carried out with theft or embezzlement or robbery or money laundering or scamming the vulnerable. But at its root is covetousness. It's greed. The next word is malice. Malice is maliciousness. And that's just badness. It's the condition of the heart out of which sin breeds. It's the degeneracy out of which all sins grow. Because it describes the evil one. Then full of envy. And this is essentially a grudging thing. In other words, the person that is envious is saying, I want what you have. I deserve it more than you. They resent the qualities of another person. They grudge either what you have or even who you are because they see in you what they're not. It is always something that they want. And in nearly every case, they believe they deserve it more than you. And that's where equity comes in. Somebody deserves what you have. If you have it, I should have it. That's envy. Murder, don't have to talk long about that one, do we? Real simple. Just to take the life of the living. It's to kill someone. Then the word strife. The word strife is really debate. It's a contention that is born of envy, of ambition, of jealousy. You know the individual who likes to argue? I mean, they debate about words. They have, they're fighting about something and contentious about words. We've all met some like that. I mean, the ones I've met, I mean, they'll create an argument about words and strife about it at the drop of the hat. And they're the ones who drop the hat. <laughs> then we have deceit. The original word for deceit, dolos, 
referred to the debasing of precious metals. How would they do that? Well, they, you, you think you got a gold coin. They just had gold on the outside and lead on the inside. But it looked real, didn't it? Happens still today. I mean, I always like to bring up. Have you ever wondered why there's never been an audit on Fort Knox? Do we even know there's any gold there? If they do, you'd think they'd want us to see it, count it. <laughs> Deceit is also uh, the original word for adulterating wines. It's simply men who cannot act in a straightforward way. Now, I don't know what comes to mind to you, but with me, politicians. They do. That press secretary up there. <laughs> they will not act in a straightforward way. Certain FBI agents, the Attorney General. I mean, it's the evidence is there. It means to give a false impression. Do you not see that? Certainly we do. By using all manner of words and deeds, but the purpose is to deceive. Then we have malice. And malice in some of the translations is co-joined with malignity. And literally it just means evil-naturedness. I read somewhere where Aristotle said, it's the spirit which always supposes the worst about other people. I like that. It's always interpreting other people or their events with suspicion and then expressing them in the worst sense. That's malice. And then we have gossips. Gossips are whispers. That's the individual with the slanderous tongue. One who will whisper in another's ear a word of secret slander. Oh, I wouldn't tell you anything about her unless it was good. And man, is this good. <laughs> then we have slanders. Slanders are backbiters. That's the individual who speaks evil against another. One who finds fault with the conduct of others. They spread innuendo and criticism. It's one who is a false accuser. And then we have the haters of God. And they are the individuals who are openly defiant of God. They would eliminate God if they could. And to me, that's the perfect definition of humanism and godlessness. Then we have the insolent. The insolent are despiteful. I mean, it's just the person who delights in hurting others. But these, these people do it by violence. So, you know, to me, carjackers come to mind. Members of gangs, drug cartel, those who sell drugs they know will kill. I mean, those that are selling fentanyl, lace drugs, they know that that drug will kill. And very likely, those who commit mass murder, they're really despiteful. For whatever reason, mentally imbalanced, but they delight in hurting others. 
That's the only way you can go into a little classroom of kids, innocent kids, and gun them down, or in, in any other manner. Then we have the arrogant, who are proud. It's those who have a certain contempt for anyone except themselves. They're preeminent. They're above others. They're also the one whom God resists. Then we have the boastful. And the boastful are really imposters. They're quacks. I mean, whatever it is, been there, done that. The know-it-all. Any kind of haughty speech which stirs up strife and provokes others. And then we have inventors of evil. These are the individuals who are just not satisfied with ordinary ways of sinning. they got to seek out new ways. And if that's not modern day America, with social media, the internet, they call good evil and evil good. They're inventors of evil. The disobedient to parents. Romans and Jews were very strict in matters of obedience. According to the law, children that could not be corrected, they continued to be disobedient, defiant, and disrespectful. They were taken to the judges, to the elders of the city. And what happened? They were stoned to death. They were, they were not offered a diversion camp. They didn't go to a detention center. They didn't head out to juvenile lockup. They weren't given probation. They weren't even given community service. So I was thinking about that, and I just wonder how that one thing would change the landscape today. I mean, I think it would reduce the population 12 to 15 million in a hurry. I mean, you wouldn't need a ring doorbell. You wouldn't have to worry about being scammed in more ways than you can count. You wouldn't have any fear of riding the subway. Once the bonds of family are broken, that's the disobedient to parents, wholesale degeneracy follows. And we're seeing the evidence in our lifetime. Then, without understanding, this is the senseless individual. It describes a fool who cannot learn by experience. Now, we all learn by experience, but we better hope we don't get all of our education that way. Rebuke a wise man, he will love you. Rebuke a scorner, and he will hate you from the book of Proverbs. Then we have the untrusting, untrustworthy and the covenant breakers. Simply breakers of agreements. We're familiar with that. It's not worth the paper it's written on. Those with whom their word is no longer their bond. Those who have rewritten the book on ethics have you ever heard this saying? You'll have to approve it before you can read it. <laughs> now, what teaching of ethics did that come from? 
while Rome even had a very high standard of honor. That honor does not exist today. Then, number 21, unloving, the person without natural affection. And you have several Greek words again here at place. We have the storge love, which in the Greek world was the word for the family. We have astagoras, which indicated a dying love for your family. Well, in Rome, children were thrown away. Seneca said this, we kill a mad dog, we slaughter a fierce ox, we plunge the knife into sickly cattle lest they tank the herd, and children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown. The word indicates a breakdown of family love and unity. Now, in the case of abortion, a birth mother is at the head of the class for being unloving. The mother who will abort, she does not have a dying love for her family. For a mother to give permission to abort a living, helpless, innocent life, begging to breathe, expresses the deepest selfish, self-centered, unloving spirit on the planet. It is not loving. Whatever love there is, it's self-loving. And it's without natural affection. There's nothing natural about wanting to kill an infant that's in the womb. And yet it's happened over 50 million times just here in America, in our lifetime. And today, we have Fortune 500 companies, we even have the military, who will provide transportation to states where an employee or military personnel can get an abortion and then they can get back to work. The last one is unmerciful. The unmerciful are implacable. They view others as being worthless, insignificant, pitiless. The person who looks upon human life as lost of all value. Those that are unmerciful are without compassion. They have little or no concern, nor do they exhibit the life of the Spirit. I'll give you an example. A slave who stumbled and broke a crystal glass was thrown alive to the eels for punishment. That's unmerciful. It's the spirit also, you got what you deserved. You made your bed, lie in it. That's unmerciful. Which brings up the seventh point. Man is without excuse. Verse 20. And it's, 
And he's without excuse because it goes back to verse 17. We started in verse 18. We covered 17 last week. And it's... Because the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. So man is without excuse. I'm almost through here, guys. <laughs> creation, if we remember the reading from Tracy in verse 20, creation declares who God is. His invisible attributes are made known by creation. God says that you can look at my creation. It expresses beauty, harmony, peace, and order. Well, that be the case, maybe we need to reevaluate global warming. Because global warming, by definition, is a religion. It's a religion to establish a one world order for the elitists to take control of the world. His eternal power is made known by creation. Creation expresses the power of God. Now, the evolutionist wants to do what? Deny the power of God, even that a God exists. So his divine nature, I think one of the translations says, the Godhead is made known by creation. And creation can only exist if there's a creator. The knowledge of God and his creation is revealed in nature, verses 19 and 20. It teaches us that one understands the invisible by the visible. So what did we learn in a capsule? Man willfully ignored God. He ignored his, in, uh, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature. What is just revealed in creation. You don't have to go to church to get that. You don't have to have a book on ethics. The creature rebelled against the Creator, and he chose to live apart from God. And this is ungodliness. And the result is unrighteousness. So we've seen the degeneracy of man since creation from God's viewpoint. And we're going to peg it right there. We're going to take up next time that discussion in the verses in between that we missed, uh, 20 through 24, I believe, that teach on homosexuality. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, I know you hate sin. Your word says so in Proverbs 6 and 16. I hate sin too. I hate it enough to completely separate myself from it. And I know that any sin in my life grieves you. It grieves your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give me strong conviction.